Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood podcast designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors, and other childcare leaders. This fun, lighthearted, and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice, and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high-performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Everything Early Childhood. I am so excited to be with you here today, wherever you're listening to this week's episode. And we are here, we're at part two of our reflections of the amazing trip um, that I got to take around the world. So part two is going to be all about Iceland. So if you've ever considered going to Iceland, I would highly recommend it. Um, The experience for me was um, very magical, um, very enlightening and at the same time quite confronting and I take on any opportunity where I feel um, any type of big emotions because that means that it's triggering something inside of me and I need to look deep inside to figure out why and it's that puzzle and it's going into it with curiosity to figure out what is that bringing up for me. So I look forward to sharing those stories with you throughout today's episode. I'm going to keep it as early childhood based as I can, but I'll um, put in there some little snippets of some amazing experiences that we got to um, do along the way as well. And I feel like, you know, I went on this trip to be so inspired about early childhood and Iceland for me actually was a really personal experience. So rather than being inspired professionally, I think I got so much out of that trip personally um, that I'll take with me um, forever. And I can't wait to have some of my Icelandic or friends, um, friends that I met on the trip on future episodes. So we're just lining them up for the new year. Um, So I can't wait to um, hear from them. So we were really lucky. We got to be surrounded by um, amazing people um, in our sector. Um, Nikki Bukhan, so continued my trip with her. Um, Teacher Tom Hobson, Tom Shea, um, Dr. Michelle Wisby, to name a few, were on this trip with us over in Iceland. Um, There were people from all over the world that worked in early childhood in many different capacities from USA, UK, Australia, um, Cyprus. So it was really incredible Um, to see and hear all of these different perspectives and stories and what these amazing people do um, in their parts of the world. So Iceland was is such a magical place. Um, When we arrived in Iceland, the wind was so strong. Like I remember getting on the bus and feeling like it was going to tip our bus over. Um, Put on my hiking boots um, for the first time in the trip because it was cold. Um, so we walked out, the wind was blowing a gale um, and it was the blowing our bags. And as we get on the bus, it's going to blow the bus over. But as we were driving, it was probably like a 40 minute drive to the hotel. So we stayed in the capital and it was just amazing to see the different terrains. Um, they have like these sculptures um, as you are, are driving by. And that's just so that they can see, I think they explained about the depth and when you're in Iceland, they're like, why are you taking photos of that? Because they see it all the time. So on our first, um, well, the first experience that we got to do was go to the Sky Lagoon. Um, So this beautiful heated natural springs um, in Iceland and um, there was this eight part ritual. So you go into the blue lagoon natural in the rocks. Um, We overlooked the ocean and um, then once we were in there, you could get out and take a plunge in the cold pool and then go in the sauna, then a salt scrub and then you wash it off and then the steam room. So that was really, really beautiful experience to start the trip and a nice way to to um, I guess go into it so that was awesome and then as we're doing that we're obviously getting to know each other and and chatting to each other and then that night so this is what I mean about Iceland it's so like it's so magical but bizarre at the same time so there were a couple of times like for example we went to the um this 
game store and they sold like board games and games but then it was a cafe as well and then you walk downstairs into like almost the basement and what they had down there was all tables and things set up because their approach to selling games was that they wanted to introduce people to new games because they said if people never try games then they usually just buy what they're used to so their um, approach was to get people there to try different games so we were there for hours just trying all of these different fun um, games um, and it was really awesome to be able to obviously engage interact with everyone have something to eat and of course try all of these new amazing games then on another night we went to this local beautiful perfumery um, it was run by um, siblings I did do a post about this so you can see the photos and um, what they'd done is that there were three siblings and they'd created all of these scents from different things within their life or their childhood so every scent had a story and what they did they put the scents on us and we closed our eyes and they told us the story and as they were telling you the story you could smell all of these different scents so um, for example, the flowers, the pine cones, the, the you know, the oil off their dad's clothes or like, you know, as you're they were telling the stories, you could smell every scent that they were describing. And what was amazing about this place is oh, it was just incredible. Like you need to see the photos of it. I can't even do it any justice. But you walk downstairs. It was just like I think they did so well in Iceland with creating an experience around everything so when you walk downstairs in this perfumery there was um these these tvs almost of like flowers that didn't exist so they created these flowers and created these scents from these magical flowers that they had invented um and it was the scent of what they imagined it would smell like and they're in the basement there was like four of these and how they were laid out was like a wood um, wooden um, I was going to say shack but it wasn't a shack it was beautiful um, and we got to move around and smell all of these different scents um, and they had things hidden and it was just a really really magical experience um, and then of course the most beautiful experience before I get into the early childhood part I can't believe I am um, talking about all of this at the beginning but the most beautiful experience for me was it wasn't actually early childhood related on the last day um, we were really lucky so we walked uh, we got in the bus and we drove to this beautiful waterfall we walked um, underneath the waterfall then we went to these other hot springs that were and we caught the sun setting um, over the mountains. So we had the ocean, the mountains. Um, I was very brave in Iceland. I did go swimming in two degree ocean water um, and then back in the hot springs very quickly. Uh, but what what that brought up for me was that because I wasn't planning on going in the ocean in two degree water, but because there were a group of others that were going in, very small group but they said come on Lisa you can do it like come with us we'll, we'll do it together and just that simple fact of saying yeah come on you can do it let's do it together it was just that encouragement and having that circle of people around you that really believed in you and supported you and encouraged you to do it it made it so much easier to do and coming out of the water um it was so cold but coming out of the water I was or no actually I lie it wasn't straight away because straight after you come out of two degree water your skin is like um needles like it's like boom boom like you can feel it like your skin is like needles and then you'd think it would be amazing to then go and jump in the hot springs right right there so there are about eight different pools um, that you could get in and they were different temperatures and so as soon as you jump in the warm water it's like you know needles and we're joking like that's how must how lobsters feel when they go in <laughs> go in the hot water to be boiled like you could feel the needles in your skin it didn't last very long it was fine but um, I remember walking back to the bus after we were finished and thinking that I'm so glad that I did that and I think that's exactly what happens. Sometimes we cannot do things and then regret afterwards not doing it. But I don't think we ever regret doing it. Um, I think that, you know, you're really grateful and blessed that you did it and that you tried. And um, I think that that was really a great experience and really opened me up to being more brave. Um, 
But so after we went to the hot springs, we went to this um, farm and at the farm, she, it was really quite spiritual. She, we lit a candle. We all sat around as a group. Um, So this was our very last night and we all sat around as a group, lit our candles, had them all, um, were sitting on the floor on cushions in a circle. She did this like performance it was like a musical performance focusing on all of the different elements so you know air wind fire water and she was using all of these instruments to tell this story so I remember during um, all of our experiences in Iceland it was very um, dramatic and you know we would get a book and tell a story here but they were like it would not dramatic in the sense of like being over the top but they would actually dramatize they would act out the story they would tell the stories and the way they would tell the stories was with such passion and grace and you wanted and and laughter and joy like you wanted to be a part of the story Um, and this happened so many times in so many different concepts around Iceland But for this experience, she told the story all about the elements, played all the instruments. We closed our eyes and just listened um, to the story. And then afterwards, we took our shoes off. We went over to uh, went outside in the freezing cold, um, walked around the fire. They were playing the drums and singing this beautiful tune around the fire. And it was just a ceremony just to. you know, I don't know, cleanse, just be grateful, just to um, hold on to all of those beautiful memories and beautiful moments that we'd had from the trip. And it was such a bonding experience. And so we had dinner, everyone went inside and we were left around the fire with about four of us. And I remember them yeah, we just sat there and we used it as an experience and we're like, okay, what are we going to let go of? And we had our little ceremony and let go of anything that we wanted to leave with us in Iceland. And then they left and I ended up in the um, around the fire with um, some of the people that lived on the farm. And she, she just had the most beautiful voice. And I don't even know how this happened because it was a group of 40 of us and I ended up at this um, fire by myself with these two people from the farm and she just sang this most beautiful song and played her drum because um, they'd all made their own drums and it was just such a beautiful moment that I'll never ever forget and I think what I've realized is it's those moments and you need to anchor those moments with a song a quote a thought a smell something to just anchor those moments to not forget forget about them but <laughs> that's enough. I'm just trying to think, is there any? Yeah. And so the other weird things, like there was a book, um, a bookshop or a library that turned into a nightclub of a night. So we went, um, so our Iceland trip was, you know, burning the candle at both ends, massive full days of food and experiences and, and being immersed in early childhood and each other. And then um, of a night in the book club, um, singing and dancing and, and um, yeah, doing karaoke together. And it made me realise how bonding music is. I think whether it's in our early childhood settings, whether it's in our personal lives or, or going out, music just bonds people. And it was, yeah, it was a really awesome experience. And I'm so blessed and grateful for the amazing people that I met on the trip and lifelong friends. Like we'll stay in touch and see how each other's going. And I know that um, a lot of them are planning to go to Iceland again next year to catch up and see each other. And a lot of the people that went um, go to Iceland every year to see each other and to experience the amazing things that Iceland has to offer. We, um, on day one, I'm just counting, one, two, three, four. So on day four, we went to, it was probably one of my favourite days. Um, What we had to do before we went on the trip, we were told that we needed to pack an experience and um, then just a play-based experience, nothing else. And what we did was um, actually have a play session for the community. So we went to the, um, what's it called? The 
city hall and in this city hall there was just this big open space and um, surrounded by beautiful water and ducks like the scenery I couldn't even um, describe to you the scenery so many different textures so many different elements um, and you're just surrounded by it I think one of my favorite things was was being able to see the snow-capped mountains um, in the distance and um before actually before I move on when we were doing our our um, ceremony with the candles after we were finishing the fire we went back in to the indoor space and we went around in the circle to say what we were grateful for um in the trip and what we appreciated the most and right when we were at the last person in our group the northern lights came out in the sky and so we went out and there they were, the Northern Lights, all ready for us um, to see on our last night. Because on our first night, when it was so windy, um, the next day, because we, we were just obviously tired, we got an early flight that day um, and had a full day. So the next day when we visited the centre, they told us, they said, oh, did you see the Northern Lights last night? They were the best that we'd ever seen. And of course, we were all in the hotel with our blinds closed, um, sleeping, but yeah, they even they lived there and they were so amazed by all of the Northern Lights and um, they were out taking videos and um, posting it on their socials. So um, we were just so disappointed that we missed it, but so grateful and blessed that they did come out for us on, on our last night. So back to day four um, in the city hall. We had all of our um, experiences all set up and some of the experiences were just so incredible. And of course, everyone was from different places around the world. So, um, you know, some of the other Australians had some Indigenous experiences. Um, People from the UK had the red buses and projectors and all of these experiences for the children, um, paints and these um, little wood chips that the children could draw on and make necklaces out of, Um, nature, so bringing in flowers and doing some um, flower were pressing with some rocks like it was so creative because of course we had a limit in our in our suitcase with what we could bring so to see what others had brought was so incredible but you'll never believe the most popular experience she ended up setting it up in the beginning right in the middle and the children just ran over and it was those water beads you know those ones where you add water and they get bigger and um, she just set up a pouring experience um, with the water beads and they were just absurd like so many children coming over laughing and um, just remember her spending most of the time just sweeping it up and putting all of her water beads back but the children ended up moving the water beads to other experiences and and combining them naturally and we had I'm not sure how many people ended up coming through but it was such a beautiful thing for the community and to connect with the community. So it's something that's been on my mind since I've returned to perhaps do it in some of our communities and get some of our early learning centres together in those communities to host it just as a free event for families to be able to um, experience play and to really promote Um, what play is and what it means. Um, So I think it could be a really beautiful and meaningful thing to do um, in our communities. So um, let me know, shout out if you're interested in being a part of that, let me know and I'll I'll put it on the list. Um, But I'll get in touch once we organise that formally. So um, let's get into early childhood now. So that was about our amazing experiences, things being magical outside of the box. Um, that day, sorry, that day with our community, we also met um, the Minister of Education there who was incredible. Like she, he said that the government there really wanted to put money into the older generations in Iceland and he had to, he really wanted this job in education because he needed to change all of their mindsets, that the money was not best spent with the older generation and taking care of their health needs the money is better spent with our younger generation with helping and educating them to be healthier to be um, and what education could and should look like in their um, country so it was fascinating and um, I think almost 
um, like it was great to hear from a politician a different point of view and that they were really passionate about that direction and, and had a direction on where they wanted to go um, with their project and um, being in that role. And then that night we had a panel. So we had um, our amazing friends, Nikki Bukan, teacher Tom Hobson, Tom Shea, Dr. Michelle Wisby and three guests from Iceland um, on a panel all about play. Um, so I can't wait to share that with you and little s- snippets and bits um, with what we've taken from from that panel discussion. Um, and then we all enjoyed supper together at the most incredible service. I might start at this service actually. So this service was huge. It catered for um, like early childhood all the way up to primary and they had sports stadiums, they had soccer fields, they had um, like it was incredible. Every service in Iceland had locker rooms. So as you walk in, there was like these benches um, where they hang all their coats. Um, As you can imagine, the weather in Iceland is quite extreme. So um, they have to have lots of space for them to put all of their belongings, boots, coats, um, and to dry off. And it was really clever. This school was quite modern. It, it was new. So um, they used the piping all on one wall. Um, at first I thought it was decorative and I walked over and it was actually um, the water because they have that's how they do a lot of their heating and a lot of their electricity in Iceland is through the natural springs and the water. And so they ran the water, which was hot water, through the pipes um, and they'd line the wall, exterior, like, sorry, interior wall, with the pipes and so the children hung their jackets up there to dry I thought that's so amazing that they thought to to do that um then we walked around the service it was huge like it was huge um it was incredible but what blew me away was just the different um shapes the different textures how they use all the doors um but the art studio oh my goodness it was two rooms and just the storage and how this was set up they had everything and everyone went in to use it the children were able to go through the different spaces so it was in like integrated age groups and they could explore each space um and in this art studio they had everything you could ever imagine so they had these little containers these big containers these these walls um in and then in the room adjacent to that which was also part of the art studio they had a projector so an overhead projector um which was projecting onto the wall um and then they had this uh like wooden cube shape like the outside of a cube and they had all things hanging on it and moving on it and then on the overhead projector which was putting on the wall was all these different shapes and sizes and almost look like crystals like you know on the wall in that um that shape and then when we looked it was just plastic containers on the light of the overhead that was projecting onto the wall um but it was it was oh incredible magical place that I can't wait to transform um a place in a service exactly like this it was it was incredible um and to see it being done so perfectly because I know in a lot of services we struggle with storage and how to store things this was just the epitome um of of storage it was incredible but as you walked around you could see it was very well organized um in every service in Iceland they had these um portfolios I know in our service we used to call them memory folios and that's where the children's work was displayed um, and their stories and anything they wanted in there was displayed. But what I liked about this particular service is it was owned by the child. So the child wrote their name on the spine. It wasn't printed on the computer. Um, It was all about the children and you could see that immediately. Unfortunately, visiting that service of a night, um, there weren't any children in there. But um, the other two services we got to visit, there were um, definitely children in those spaces. So the first service um, that we visited, um, that it was so beautiful. Like you could see as soon as you walked in that it was Reggio inspired. Um, they believe everyone is a teacher. So there was no difference in the rank or the responsibility Um, as soon as we walked in, we felt welcomed. Everyone was running up to us to say hello, hello, and to to greet us. Um, We ended up talking for so long because we were just, both of us from our side and from their side were so interested and keen to know um, 
from both of our perspectives about each of our countries. So we found out that children can attend early childhood settings in Iceland from 12 months of age. So before they're 12 months of age, they have what they call, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, like a dark mama. Um, And what that means is that they call it a day mum in English. And so if parents do need to return to work um, before 12, the child is 12 months, they get a day mum who looks after the child um, in their home. Um, From 12 months, they can attend early learning settings and um, they do have a really great um, maternity or parental leave um, in Iceland. So, and they're trying to get that extended. So at the moment, they've got 12 months of paid leave. The government pays 12 months um, for families, but um, they are quite ambitious. So a lot of them do return early, but they are looking and they really want to extend that to 18, the first 18 months of a child's life. Um, So in Iceland, there's no rating system, but what they said was that you need to maintain a certain um, quality and the government have a certain level um, that they want to maintain. So when they come out and and have a look um, and they see that you're not at that level, they support services if they find they are struggling to maintain that level. They don't want services to close. They don't want services to um, obviously not be doing the right thing by the children. So they, the government support services if they're struggling and need that support. There is no testing and no reporting. Um, they support the, they, all they said was they support the children to be better every day um, and to get to a better level. And social connectedness and community are the most important aspects of early childhood um, in Iceland. And the kids just go to the closest school based on their personal experience um, or past siblings. And it's a, they said it's a very small community. So if your service did something wrong, um, everyone would know about it in that community. Um, as I said, their service is very Reggio-based. They felt that they had an um, obligation to protect play. Um, the ratios in Iceland, so one to five for under twos and one to seven or eight for two to five-year-olds. Um, at this setting, they did – so they had children with um, additional needs. So at this service, they had two children with autism, one with Down syndrome, one in a wheelchair and one had a muscle disease. Um, they said the government gives them funding for these children. So they said um, they can have up to seven additional teachers depending on how many children they have with additional needs. And it was actually so beautiful at this service to see how they integrated these children into um into the serv- into the service, into the routine, um, into all aspects of the day. Um, there was this little boy who had really high needs um, and we were there when they were doing a one-on-one session with the carer and he had these cards um, or not even cards, I shouldn't say. He had these um, uh, like key ring and it was just one card and she knew because they tried different visuals, they tried different approaches, he was non-verbal and she said she tried so many different things and he just wasn't responding but with this card she knew that every time he handed it to her that he needed something and because she was so in tune with him she knew what he needed so we was in this one-on-one session we were seeing them actually what I would call having rough and tumble play picking him up spinning him around um, you know putting things on top and having that sensory experience um, and having that sensory session and he was just responding to it so beautifully and it was before lunch and um, during lunch lunch was one of the Oh, it was amazing at this service. Um, what they did, there were two teachers that were um, and that did lunch that were in charge of doing lunch. They had this beautiful dining space. In their dining space, they had tables of different heights, different sizes, chairs of different sizes, different heights. Um, so one table was for two people, another table was for six people, all different sizes and shapes. They all had tablecloths. Before lunch started, um, they said they get um, three helpers from the classes. They just send them up. They rotate. They set the table 
table. So they put the flowers, the candles, the knives and forks on the tables. And then once that's all set up, the two teachers in charge of lunch um, let the other groups know that they're ready. And each group just starts sending up children, a certain amount of children. They have a table at the front of the dining room where two there's two rows of the food and the children, um, they sanitize their hands and they all serve themselves. And this is from one and a half years. Um, and we saw the children successfully serving themselves. So on the day that we were there, they had fish. Um, they have fish twice a week in Iceland. Um, so Tuesdays and Thursdays typically. And so the day we were there was a fish day. So they had fish potatoes, um, vegetables and bread. Um, And so the children served themselves and they had ketchup as well um, and they served each part of their meal and then they went and sat down with their friends. Um, They just each chose a chair that they wanted to sit at or a table they wanted to sit at. Um, It was so amazing. It was calm. It was unrushed. Um, It was mixed age groups. Um, There were two teachers that were just there and um, they were just supervising and just making sure everything was okay. But the children were eating independently, serving independently, um, there, but they knew the teachers were there if they needed anything. And they just said, because we asked about allergies and dietary requirements, and they just said they just stand close to the table. Those children know what they can't eat. Um, however, they will prompt them when those children get there just to monitor what they're putting on their plate to make sure that they're not putting anything that they are allergic to. Um, and it was just so, it was such a great experience, like just really calm and really how it could be and how it should be during meal times. Um, we asked them, how do they know when more children should come up? Because this size of this service, they had 104 children. And um, they just said that they simply know in the classes when we send children back down, because um, it was double story. So when we send children back to their class and the children just walk back on their own, um, then they just send more children up to to eat. So um, all the handles were up quite high on the exterior doors. Um, this centre did have security, so you needed to push the button to exit. Um And yeah, so lunch was a beautiful experience. But during lunch, they started pointing out all of these children who had additional needs. You wouldn't ever, you wouldn't even know. Like, it's like I would have no idea even to look around. Like they were just so well integrated um, into this mainstream and their routine and their rituals of the day that it was just calm. And um, for that little boy that had high needs, um, he preferred to eat on his own. So they had a separate space for him um, in like the foyer bit of the upstairs where there was a dining table. Um, So a lot of the teachers used that dining table for their um, planning time. And so they, yeah, he just ate out there because he preferred to eat by himself. And that was okay. They knew that that's what he preferred and they took that into consideration. So, um, and then we went on an excursion. So um, we went out um, after lunch and um, went out into the forest, into the bush. And it was so beautiful. You could see the mountains in the background with the ice and snow. We sang some songs. We found some um, mushrooms, some fungi on the floor. Um, and we talked about that and it was just amazing. They played in the park near their houses and they were pointing out all of their houses to us. And when we got back and we shared our experiences, that experience to me was just incredible. Um, meeting all of the teachers who were just so, so happy. And not only did the cooks cook for the children, but they also had um, the same warmers, like uh, we would call them Bay Marie's, in the staff room. And there was a whole set of lunch for the teachers in the staff room that they got fed and had lunch every day at the service as well. So they didn't need to eat with the children. That was wasn't an expectation but food was provided for each of the team members in the staff room when they had their their break and when we did sit down to eat lunch the other teachers came and sat with us we all ate together we all talked over food um and we all um yeah bonded and and got to know each other and it was yeah it was awesome But um, yeah, on the way back, we all shared our experiences. Um, Some had different experiences to others. Um, Even in Australia, we know that some services have different philosophies. Um, Some services, um, you know, 
have a higher quality than others. Um, and But the fact is that in your service, you only know what you know. So sometimes visiting other services is the best thing that you can do to get a different perspective on what else is out there, um, what others are doing and that idea, those ideas and that inspiration. So we really encourage you to do that. And there's many different places that offer those experiences. So this, and when we were sharing all of our stories, um, the other educators or the other people on our trip were sharing stories about that they went to the ocean and the ocean was frozen and the children picked up these big blocks of ice and they had um, these big shards of ice that they were just carrying around. And then so the, the educators had taught them, can they eat it? And they're like, yes, but they know that is it clean ice or is it dirty ice? And they'd had these conversations with the children around those different things but I remember the biggest thing in Iceland and what they said was um, that they go out outdoors 30% of the time year round rain hail shine snow wind they said the only time that they stay indoors is if the flag posts are bending over and this is no joke these metal poles like that wind on that first day was crazy um so that's how they they monitor it if the flag poles are bending um then it's too windy to go out but they said if they stayed inside when it was ra- when it was raining or cold they would never go out so what they had was these full suits, um, uh, what are they called, um, uh, thermal suits. So the children had suits, the teachers all had suits and they all put their suits on. The funny thing was though when we went for a walk, like you could see halfway through the teachers unzipping them and rolling them down because it got so hot um, from walking that day. But I think in order to, you need to be prepared, like you need to be prepared for the weather. And as services, if we have the right clothing for not only our children, but also the teachers, the children all came to school ready. They all had these these things ready to go, their boots, their suits. Um, But if we have all of those suits for our teachers, so that if it is raining, they also have the right equipment and right resources to be able to do that. I think that's a really great step in the right direction. And I think we need to think about that, that if that's something that you want your service to be doing in the future, then then do that. I remember thinking that, um, I remember hearing once that they were talking about um, the fact that if we only go outside when it's sunny, then we're just teaching our children that you know, there's that message and that undertone that we're teaching children that we can only do things when things are perfect. But if we teach them that we can go out whenever, we just need to put the right clothing on and the right things for the weather, then we're talking about the weather and we're also showing them that we can go out at any time and that it doesn't matter whether if the weather's bad or if the weather's good, we can still do things and do different things. Um, I when we went for a walk, there was this puddle, and I said to them, "I'm just gonna, I'm gonna jump in the puddle because I had my my boots on, my waterproof boots, and it was frozen. Like the puddle was frozen, and it was really um just interesting to see a different texture and to hear the crunch um as you as you jumped into it. So everyone had different experiences, um, different things to share, and. I know the second service that we went to was not quite as um, positive for me. Um, We went to the service. um, It was fine. Like it was really tall, um, just sort of white building in the middle of this lot. And um, it, it was, I think it was like four or five stories or something. And it was quite a different experience compared to the day before. Um, And I'm not sure if it was because we had that amazing experience the day before or, or what. But when we went in, we explained that this service was a um, Waldorf or Steiner approach. Um, they had a very strict schedule, strict routine. Um, the children's days were filled with everything you can imagine, the gym, the music, the singing, the dancing, um, lots of sitting um, at this school and I, I'm a fan or I'm a fan of the Steiner 
approach. For me, the Steiner approach is very hands-on, very creative. Um, It's where the teacher is a partner in the learning, um, you know, and learns alongside the children. It's really um, creative. They have a lot of different, um, really strange um, rituals and, and things that they implement within their curriculum. But I really feel that it opens up and sets children up for success in the sense that they know that there's a big wide world out there. And I know a lot of people that have actually gone through the um, through Steiner schools because they have, um, we have Steiner schools here in Australia and they go all the way up from um, preschool to um, year 12. And um, they, yeah, so they, um, yeah, and I, I've been to them, I've experienced them. They're very um, adverse to technology. They don't use a lot of technology, but the way they approach their day and the structure that they have around their day is is really incredible. And I, I think that the, it's a really magical experience to go through um, this approach if it is implemented effectively and I and my belief and understanding, I'll tell you a little bit about what happened at this service. So we arrived, we we um, joined in singing with the children, which was really beautiful, and um, that was all good. Then after that, like it just went from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing, and they were getting frustrated. They had a lady in there who was observing the children's behaviour because um, there are a few challenging behaviours they went outside. There was nothing really for them to do outside. It was just pretty much a lot with a sand pit. Um, and there were, ch- there were children who um, found things and were um, hitting them against the windows to, to like smash the windows and no one was interfering. No one was doing anything. And it got so she explained the head of the school explained that they get one hour and this was really great for them the children have built up to one hour of free play per day and during this hour they were allowed to do whatever they wanted um the teacher just stood back and were encouraged to knit to read a book to do anything else but they their job was to stay back and let the children explore things on their own Now, I understand that concept and I am an advocate for um, children being self-explorers and being able to uh, experiment and try different things and have time and space to be. Um, However, I think there's a point where it comes to children's safety that we need to intervene with uh, intentional teaching strategies, not I think that we can pause a little bit more. Um, So something I've taken recently is... I think we can all, every time something happens, we tend to just jump in and so for example, a child sitting down at a table eating, um, the child gets up from the table to do something and we're like, oh, you're still eating, sit down. But if we just pause for a minute just to see what that child's intention was or what they were going to do, then it could be just something really simple like in in the case I'm talking about the child just wanted to get up to pick something up for another child and give it to them and then they were sitting straight back down anyway so if we just pause just to see what that child's doing rather than just intervening straight away I think that's really important but when it comes to children's health and like safety and well-being um, if they're harming another child if they are harming themselves if they are in in immediate danger, I think it's important that we use those strategies to talk to the children and ask them questions around and guide almost their risk-taking. Um, so that in this hour of play, we joined the other team members and we sat back and we observed. Um, mind you, in Iceland, or particularly in this service in Iceland and, and the other ones, there was very minimal um, resources and there were very um, – so rather in our resource – what we've done seen in Australia is lots of bigger spaces um, coming out, whereas in Iceland what we found was that they had um, like a room but then they had little smaller rooms off the main room and they had like a block room, they had like a creative room um, and there was these rooms off the room where they could engage so but in this service uh, there were there wasn't a lot like 
I'll, I'll share the photos. It was just there was one set of drawers with I'm not sure what was in them actually, maybe some blocks. And then in this room where they were, um, there was one square, one small square table, four four chairs. Um, there was like a crate with materials in it. Um, and so these children were engaging in this space. And at f- <coughs> excuse me, at first they built a like a train. So they lined the chairs up, and they were sitting in the train um, of the chairs, which was fine. And then they slowly started to get more and more brave, experiment, what are we going to do now? And so they started to stack the chairs up on top of the table. And they got to like the third chair, the fourth chair, the child proceeded to climb up the chairs um, and was on top, on the top chair of the chairs on top of this table. Um so that sort of made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and then another experience was um, the in this same same um, time frame was that there was another child who climbed up onto a windowsill. Um, the room that we were on was on like the fifth floor, so the top floor, and the child was standing up on the windowsill against the window, just breathing on the window and looking out the window. And I'm not sure that they have safety class in Iceland, but I didn't feel very comfortable with that either. So we were just observers. Um, the teachers did not intervene. They didn't do anything. Um, we And it wasn't just this. Like in the morning, um, we arrived. We, we were spending time in the service. One of the um, people on the trip with me kept saying, Lisa, are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, yeah, like, I'm okay. I'm okay. She's like, are you sure? Like, you're okay. And I actually was like overcome with these emotions that I've never felt before, like to this extreme, like I had to walk out of the service, um, go for a walk, get myself together, come back. And um, I realized that it was really confronting like I felt like so these um the teachers at the service were explaining to us that they'd had so many challenging behaviors that they didn't like you know they were getting people in to help them with all these challenging behaviors and yet all I could see were children not getting their needs met and I was like no wonder you're having like no wonder you're having these challenges because the children's needs are not being met. And I, it was quite confronting. This experience was quite confronting. And I had to question to myself that, you know, I feel like, and whilst being, uh, you know, an advocate for the Steiner approach, I feel like this is what happens when an interpretation of the approach has gone wrong. Um, it's almost like Chinese whispers and like you see something and you're like, we're going to do that. Um, and then that you implement it. But what I feel like needs to happen is anytime we implement an approach, anytime we implement part of an approach, because I'm a big advocate for um, integrated um, philosophies with multiple different approaches, it needs to be backed up by research and evidence. So any part of that approach or any part of that philosophy or theory needs to be backed up by reputable research. So make sure, I really want to encourage you that each time you take on and implement something, make sure that you're confident with the research that it is in the children's best interest to then implement that in your um, curriculum or understand why and where that has come from. Um, We spend a lot of time with, um, you know, Dr. Michelle Wisby. So she specialised in Montessori um, education and she explained around, I remember a conversation I had with her and she said like Maria Montessori, like she designed um, her curriculum and her philosophy like way, way back when. And she designed it for the time that she was in. And even in her time, she was so innovative and well ahead of her time. So she said what she does now is she likes to think and she likes to encourage people to think 
if Maria Montessori was here today, what would it look like with the resources and the materials that we have at our disposal? What would that look like today? Um, And I think it's really important with anything that we implement, like all of these theorists and all of these philosophies and approaches, you know, are from quite some time ago, like what would that look like now? How could we implement that in our service now? And I think it's really important to ask ourselves those questions and really delve into why. Um, So the question that I left Iceland with um, from the early learning settings was, you know, in Italy, we talked a lot about time and space and giving children time and space, but Italy was abundant with love, like so much love, like you could just feel it. Whereas Iceland, yes, the temperature was a bit colder, but also the feeling like was a bit colder. And, and, you know, we saw some beautiful settings and met some really amazing people. Similarly to any country, I'm sure that there's settings that are, um, you know, um, we visit services that are incredible. And then we visit other services that are on a journey and they they have a lot of work to do. Um, But at the same time, my question, it left me reflecting like, Where is the balance between time and space and love and care? Because I think it's really important that children do have time and space to be able to explore. But at the same time, I feel like, you know, it's it's our job to love and care for these children um, and to help role model and mentor and coach and use all of our intentional teaching strategies in order to... um, further their knowledge and understanding with also experimenting those risk-taking opportunities. Um, So I loved in Iceland the opportunity to experience all weather types, Um, loved the Reggio approach, um, but I think at the same time the confronting experience of, you know, seeing an approach gone wrong um, is really also interesting because I think at what point – do services reflect on something that they have implemented and whether it's working or it's not working and why. And I think that that is a really good practice to get into yearly um, to be able to, um, yeah, to reflect on those questions and really make sure that what we're doing is meeting your current group of children, um, your team, and making sure that everyone has the training, the necessary training and research with why and where that has come from. So I'm so blessed. Thank you for coming on this journey and listening to this amazing experience of Iceland. Um, It was truly incredible. I'm so blessed for the amazing people that um, I met on the trip. And I can't even give a shout out to every single one of them, but um, you all know who you are. You're you're really, really incredible. And I'm truly blessed to have met you all. Um, Can't wait to keep building our relationship together and come and visit your amazing services in your part of the world. Um, but I want to know have you have you visited a service or have you been a part of a service so perhaps you've worked at a service where there was just something um, that made you question or what question did you walk out with because I believe that uh, and you know I think it was Einstein that said if if he was given a problem he'd spend the first an hour to solve a problem he'd spend the first 59 minutes coming up with the right question so I think everything in life is just coming up with the right question and once you have the right question then it's it's not easy but then it allows you to solve the right problem so what what questions have you walked out with um, to reflect on and for us to be better um, practitioners in what we do within our services every every single day um, I want to encourage you that um, at this time of the year, it's a busy season. So make sure that you have some self-compassion, make sure that you're all looking after yourselves and make sure that you make time for yourself as well in this busy time. Um, and I will, um, I want to encourage you as well that if you, for next year, we are opening up our coaching and advisory. So if you want to book in for any sessions for coaching and advisory, um, 
for you personally in your professional goals. Um, I'll put out some more information about that so you can see that. Um, But please get in touch with us. And remember to keep making every moment count wherever you are. And let me know how you're going. And I look forward to catching you again next week. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. We read them all. (laughs) To catch all the latest from me, your host, Lisa Brown, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lisa Brown underscore Platinum Ed. Thanks again for listening. Keep making every moment count and I'll see you next time.